0: Hello and welcome to the Circle of Influence, a collaborative podcast brought to you by the CFDA and the Real Real, which takes a deep dive into fashion sustainability's past, present, and future. In a world still reeling from the impact of COVID 19 and social unrest, the conversation is more urgent than ever. On behalf of the Real Real, I'm your host, Julie Gilhart, President of Tomorrow Projects and Chief Development Officer of Tomorrow Limited. On today's episode, we'll be hearing from three industry leaders who are pioneering the cause for sustainability in fashion, each from different walks of life. Joining us today from Montana is Clara Camp, newly appointed Chief Operating Officer at the Textile Exchange and former Worldwide Sustainability and Innovation Director at Stella McCartney. Mara Hoffman in upstate New York is founder, president, and creative director of her own namesake label. And from Phipps, based in Paris, we welcome Spencer Phipps, founder and designer of his own menswear label. Welcome, everyone. Um, Thanks for gathering from all over the world today to talk about a very important subject. Let's just start with a question for everyone. Sustainability can take on many meanings that can often be confused to customers and consumers. But in your own businesses, how do each of you simply define true, authentic sustainability?
1: The way that I look at it, because you know, sustainability is like almost a nothing word. It's it's a, not a concrete thing. It's more a mindset. It's sort of a goal-oriented with no finish line. You know, you never really like, there's no, you arrive and then you are sustainable. That doesn't necessarily happen ever. You know, so for me, the way that I define it in my own life and in the way that we do business is that we do the best we can with the information that we have at the time. And so it's about just the making the best business practices, the priority and, and trying to do constantly do better and constantly looking for ways that you can do better ways that you've maybe not done the best you can and kind of constantly like assessing and reassessing those goals to just, you know, constantly improve.
0: Yeah. Which is a good way of approaching it because, you know, with innovation and technology is now as a constantly changing space. That's a good answer. Um, Mara following
2: Spencer's demand, I, also feel that it is a constant work that at least I can speak for myself, and my brand, that I, it would be, um, it wouldn't even be right to say we are a sustainable brand. We are in the work of it. We are in the pursuit of it at all costs. So I think for us, it also is Choosing each path with the least amount of harm and then going above that and not just sitting at that level, but going at it from as much of a holistic approach from, you know, not stopping at the environmental side, but the the humanistic aspect of this work and that it is um, an all encompassing journey to do this, especially within the fashion industry. So it's trying to find something better and leaving something hopefully much better
0: yeah definitely it's like i remember the first time i heard the word carbon positive and i thought that was really cool you know not neutral but positive um on 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 that note claire what it what what what's your take on it
3: well i mean the Textile Exchange, the organization I'm working with, working for, um, is really focused on materials, and I think that you know when we're talking about fashion, we do start with materials, no matter what we're making. Um, so uh, I think that that's the lens that I'm I'm thinking about this topic through, and I but I agree with what's been said, in that it is a never-ending journey, and it is about moving beyond uh, just maintaining this idea of we're going to stay at this level. And looking at opportunities within materials for regeneration, for reforestation, for rewilding, for actually helping nature bounce back. Uh, We know that when nature is in balance, that it can restore itself, but we've whacked it so far away from any level of balance that we're going to have to be part of the solution to regain that balance and I think the idea of balance and sustainability go hand in hand, um, but the idea of sustaining the state we're in is no longer good enough if we want to address the kind of urgent um, level of the climate crisis that we're facing ahead of us. And I think that more concretely, you know, from a company point of view, it is about prioritizing. It's about finding where, you know, what are the materials you're using the most of or where are your biggest impacts and finding the radical interventions and solutions that you can make to shifting the way that you interact with sourcing and growing and recycling and all of it.
0: I think it's really important for our audience to understand that how there's a global glo- goal of holding at 1.5 degrees, requiring that we slash greenhouse gas emissions 45% below 2010 levels by 2030 and reaching, I think, a net zero by 2050. I mean, that is a very specific thing for the planet. Can you just put that in um, more layman terms for people that may not know this?
3: so the that is that is the trajectory that we have to achieve. We have to achieve a forty five percent reduction by two thousand and thirty if we have any chance of staying within the one point five degree pathway. Uh, the difference between the one point five degree pathway and a two degree pathway is massive. I think these sound like small numbers, but they are not um, you know we 're talking about a two to three times increase in loss of biodiversity you know, a 14% um, impact on population to around a 40% on population for severe weather and heat. Um, And so it's very, very urgent that we address this. A 45% reduction in carbon is uh, a huge feat (laughs) Um, that it's going to take all of us together looking at how we can transform these systems to achieve it. Um, We cannot achieve it even by just adopting preferred methods. We do have to look at more radical interventions um, if we if we kept on the path we're on, we're, we're absolutely not going to achieve it. But even if we switched all of our sourcing to um, recycled materials and organic materials, it might not even be enough at the rate of growth that we're on. Um, even, even at a 3% growth, which is kind of the rate we're at now, we won't be able to do it. So it's going to be um, not only about making sure that we do things better. It's also gonna be about slowing things down. Um, The rate of growth has to slow down. We have to decouple this idea of economic growth and prosperity, uh, that we can find other ways to be prosperous without having to increase production and consumption. Um, There's been a lot of talk for a lot of years around this idea of new business models. And I think that we really do have to think about other ways to access fibers, to access materials, to access this idea of new without the actual uh, creation of and continual growth of consumption around the world. Um, So what it actually means, I think, from a fashion point of view is, first of all, adopting better materials. And then second of all, really rethinking what we're putting out into the world. And I know that, you know, this is something Mara that you've, you've done a huge amount of work of in your brand. Uh, I mean, I am with you. It's a huge,
2: it's uh, extraordinarily daunting when you are manufacturing new and where to make these shifts today. It's perfect today. We are um, launching our first climate beneficial product. So it's exciting. We um, did two wool sweaters and bees, um, that we feel excited about, that are carbon positive products. That's amazing,
0: Spencer. You you do a lot of upcycling and using repurposed vintage materials. Um, can Can you tell us a little bit more about that and the creative process?
1: Yeah. I, well, I mean, you know, on a personal level, I'm just like a vintage junkie. Um, you know, I've been buying trading, hunting, vintage since I I had old enough to have money to shop, you know? Um, So it's really personal for me. But also, you know, there's that statistic I read somewhere that like, you know, everyone in the world could wear a different piece of clothing every day for the next year without ever buying something. You know, there's enough stuff in the world. There's a million pieces of clothes, you know, clothing, garments existing every minute that are new. Uh, So we've... Taken it upon ourselves to either upcycle, yeah, either materials using leftover pieces, uh, and even introducing part of our brand is literally just garments, ready made, finished pieces that we sort of rebrand and, and curate in a way that, that uh, expands on the storytelling of the products that we're already doing. You know, I don't need to worry about making new denim or flannel shirts or things like that, which are, are very, you know, nice commercial products. We can just find the best ones. And they're there. They're beautiful. They're actually better than buying a new one off the rack because they have this history, which for me is, is you know is so exciting. That's what I love about big pre-existing stuff. You know, there's a backstory.
0: Yeah, I mean, definitely with the younger customer, they 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 that's actually a, a preferred way of buying in a sense. Um, for you know, statistics show that. So you're setting yourself up for. Um, that new customer when they have more spending dollars for sure. Claire, I know you've got this new role at the textile exchange. And I'm just curious if you can talk about a little bit about what the textile exchange is so people know if they don't know. And 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 how you know, what do you think are the major differences between working for a brand like Stella and sourcing raw materials? And then now you're working for a company that actually focuses on it. Do you want to just tell us about that? Also, it's a nonprofit, which makes it really interesting.
3: Yeah, I, I'm, I've just recently joined Textile Exchange as their COO. For people who don't know, Textile Exchange is a global nonprofit that focuses on tier four is kind of what we call it in the industry. If we, if we break out our, our um, areas of production, tier four, which would be the kind of furthest away tier, um, is where raw materials are. So the focus of the organization is on raw materials. So that means how we grow our cotton, you know, how we recycle um, that, that kind of part of the world, which has always been my personal passion um, is how we, how we farm, how we grow things, how we can leverage those systems to address major problems. Um, And so Textile Exchange has around, I think it's almost 500 members at this stage. Uh, So we have a lot of brand members. Uh, We also have a lot of supplier members. We have farmers that are members. Um, It's a really nice kind of uh, area where we can convene people together to come up with collective solutions. We run roundtables on different fibers, on topics around cashmere, on organic cotton, around biosynthetics. And those roundtables have um, around 2,500 people participating in them. So it's a a really incredible platform for convening the industry to collectively look at how we address material problems and uh, sourcing problems. And I'm joining in a really exciting time because we're about to roll out um, and implement a a Climate Plus strategy. Uh, The Plus represents the idea of making sure that we include biodiversity, soil and water in a really holistic way into how we think about addressing climate change in tier four. Um, We're really committed to this 45% reduction and helping the industry Achieve this. We're a convener. Um, we try to be an trusted authority, and we're really shifting our focus towards acceleration, to helping the industry accelerate change, um, accelerate the adoption of better materials and better practices in the Tier Four area. So it is a, it's a really exciting um, and organization that has a lot of different areas of focus, but is also very focused on a very specific part of the value chain. I'm still involved with Stella as an advisor. um, And, you know, I worked there for almost nine years and uh, leading sustainability for her. And it was, you know, an incredible experience. I have nothing but the best things to say, um, but... I am looking forward to getting to kind of dive in and focus in the soil (laughs) part of the world. Um, I'm a bit of an agricultural nut in in kind of a weird way, in a fashion way.
0: They're lucky to have you. You can uh, bring so much knowledge to them. Um, Mara, you did a really deep dive into sustainability in your business about six years ago. And you mentioned your company is going through another big transition, Um, Can you walk us through that, how you're changing and what is the difference this time around? Six years ago, we we did make
2: the transition towards the beginning of this journey towards sustainability. And fast forward to these past seven months, we were really... pushed off the hamster wheel, you could say, and went through a very fast and intense contraction where our company really was had to be cut in half on an employee level and on a business size level. And with that came some pretty big decisions. And one of those decisions was um, about not going forward with producing our fall 20 collection. One of the outcomes of the pandemic was a lot of customers cancelling orders and us getting um, stuck with a lot of inventory. So making more inventory we knew would not solve our problem. So we had to make the hard decision of not going forward with that collection. And it was definitely a collection that I had um, a real connection to. But We decided to really dig into what we had and work from that space and be very transparent with our customers and and let them know that this is where we're at as a business. And in order for us to really stay in our commitments to do the least harm, we have to make this decision and we hope that you'll come with us, was about... Restorytelling and reshooting the product that we had to give new life to it and and give it a seasonless kind of um, angle and approach that people could wear this any month. Another change that we made was around shifting our company towards a direct to consumer model and getting out of. The majority of our wholesale relationships and editing down to about 10 solid accounts. But now understanding that if we are going to be able to slow down our own pace, shift our calendars, um, be able to sell you know, in season as opposed to putting things out way early and they end up on sale. We were going to have to own more of our business by going towards a direct consumer model. And I think a lot of brands are feeling that and looking how to do that now if they hadn't already done that. And this was a big wake-up call for so many people. And by doing it, it gives us an opportunity to be more responsive, um, make things within season, really be able to use our liabilities. Give more longevity to our product as opposed to being on these markdown cycles that, you know, just are constantly pushing new, 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 instead, giving us the opportunity to build in to a longer life cycle for the clothes that we are making and stick with them for longer and get out of this short attention span idea that is really a huge problem and, and working against
0: our, you know, our own sustainable sustainability goals. I, I it's huge because after 20 years, it's really hard to change the way that you do things. You know, it, it, it's examples like you're setting that I think is, is, looking at what the situation is and just choosing to go through the pain of changing, which I was thinking, uh, Spencer, I was thinking about you because, you know, um, like with Mara, her brand didn't, I mean, she's always been sustainably minded, but her brand itself started in a day when we really weren't thinking about sustainability. Um, So you've worked for, Mark Jacobs, you went to Parsons, you worked for Mark Jacobs, you've worked for Dries Van Noten. And yet when you went out to start your business, you started it in a very sustainable way with lots of good principles from the get-go. Um, can you talk about that a little bit?
1: You know, I think you, you really hit the nail on the head when you said that, you know, Mara had started her business before that was a conversation that people had. It was like not a priority sustainability was not even a word that was like spoken in a design studio maybe until 5 years ago. Um you know it was something that I was interested in. I did my graduate thesis at Parsons that was all kind of sustainability focused and looking for textiles and this was 2008 I guess um which again was like kind of before that conversation had happened in the industry and it was very 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 different landscape of how to do that. And then yeah Finished school, got a job at Marc Jacobs, dream job. Whoa, this is insane. Nobody cared. You know, it was just like not a thing. Uh, But the conversation caught up. You're watching this conversation about global warming and, you know, just the crisis that we're all dealing with. And I started the business after this became a conversation. So I think it would be naive and old fashioned and a bit rude to the rest of the world to say that my young creative voice is more important than our future as a species you know i mean it's the only way to do it and i think you know establishing a business now you need to think about these things you sort of are required to and i haven't there's no board there's no history there's no way that there's no one telling me that i can't do it this way you know so i get to say the rules i can say well we're not going to make that product because i don't know how to do that in a good way you know, we can take our time and really build the business the way that we want to and and kind of just make our own rules.
0: Well, in a way, the huge brands of today took a long time to grow. We accelerate ourselves so fast. So, you know, if you're in it for the long haul, um, you know, the way that you're doing it is, is really, is really, I think right now, the right way we don't need to be going so fast. I think, I think more and more people are realizing that and you can sort of make it part of your storytelling too. And it gives you a lot of pleasure to buy things that are made well, which, Claire, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned it earlier about raw materials. Um, Many people you know that the relationship of the agriculture industry and fashion is known to people like yourself sort of insider baseball but can you talk about the importance of understanding agriculture's role in fashion and how we all can understand how it can be how we can be responsible stewards again it's a it's another one of those conversations people like agriculture but I think there's going to come a day when it's going to be very cool to know about these things. So we want to hear it from you first.
3: (laughs) Well, I mean, the industry uses, you know, not that many materials. We kind of break it down. Polyester is the most used material in fashion. Um, We have to acknowledge that, which has nothing to do with agriculture and has only to do with oil. Um, But uh, as second most used is cotton and third most used is man-made cellulosics. And cotton is an agricultural product. Of course, we grow it. Um, agriculture and cotton are hand-in-hand. Hand. Cotton is often grown as a monoculture where it's just cotton, but a lot of times cotton plants are also mixed in with food. Um, so in that way, there's a direct tie into how we think of agriculture in our food systems. Um, and we also use a lot of wool, you know, we use leather in the industry, and these are all also ties in directly into agricultural systems. Um Agriculture when it comes to climate change has a really big role to play in everything. So how we grow our crops, how we let our animals graze, Um, Directly relates back to whether or not we're going to achieve this 45% reduction. Um, And it relates back really directly to soil, actually. So even taking it kind of one step further away from growing or grazing to the very, very basic part of the planet. Uh, Soil is literally the foundation of everything. It's the foundation of civilization. And it's also really what we need to maintain clean water supplies and to mitigate climate change. Um, We kind of don't always pay enough attention to soil as maybe we should, uh, but it is the largest terrestrial store of carbon on the planet. Um, Only the ocean stores more carbon globally than soil. Soil is our sponge. You know, it's the thing that we need to keep healthy so we can draw carbon out of the atmosphere and lock it away. And to do that, we need healthy agricultural systems. So, you know, if we're talking about cotton more concretely and more specifically, and I think this is probably a little bit what Mara was talking about, but when you're talking kind of about these idea of climate positive, um, it is this. It's about transitioning a system that is, you know, maybe turning soil into something that is more reflective and less of a sponge back into that sponge. So um, if we're thinking about organic cotton compared to conventional or building in these ideas of regenerative systems into our agriculture, it's about reversing negative patterns and turning them into positive patterns. Um, You know, so with cotton, you know, that's maybe about the type of compost you use, reducing the amount of tillage that happens so that you can draw down this carbon and lock it away into the soil. Um, If we're thinking about wool or alpaca or cashmere or really any animal that grazes, it's about thinking about those grazing patterns, you know, what, what can we do to reduce some of the stress um, on the land? Um, you know, so if it's Mongolia, for example, which is where uh, Kashmir comes from, has had a bad history in the past of really overgrazing the grasslands there. So what happened is we turned really beautiful grasslands into Mongolia, basically into a desert. And um, so what we need to do is we need to reverse that. And to do that, we need to change the way that animals graze because animals can actually kickstart the carbon cycle themselves um, just by being animals as long as, again, it's in balance. Um, and a lot of this, uh, this idea of regenerative, these ideas of changing grazing, we really do need to acknowledge that they're indigenous practices as well, I have to say. Um, regenerative practices are indigenous practices, and it's really going back to the kind of more ancient ways of existing with the planet. Um, in the grazing, In the grazing context, a lot of the time, it's really about mimicking the native species that were there. So I'm in Montana, so we can use the example of bison. (laughs) Um, So traditionally, bison roamed the plains of Montana. Um, And so what we would be doing if we were looking at regenerative grazing in Montana is we'd be looking at how did the bison live here in Harmony? And can we mimic that with our cows or our sheep or whatever we have here that we need as humans? And, you know, that's, that's the kind of agricultural tie. And it is, I know it's so far removed, you know, in probably the consumer's mind to a (laughs) t-shirt. But that is the system that, you know, exists to bring you a t-shirt. You know, there's farmers and there's huge human rights parts of this that we need to look at, which Mara touched on, you know, it's there's a lot of people involved and um, a very large system in place that actually gets us the fibers that we need to create the products that we love.
0: We're so used to seeing the labels of organic t-shirt. Will we have a regenerative t-shirt? Is that
3: kind of where we're headed? I hope so. Um, I think that, you know, we need to be careful not to overclaim, um, and we need to be careful to listen to science. I, I, I would like to hope that the pandemic has taught us to listen to science. I, maybe that's an over, <laughs> overly ambitious wish, um, but, you know, we need to listen to climate science and we need to measure this stuff to make sure that we're doing it in a way where it is actually going to achieve what we want it to achieve. And with regenerative, it's a little tricky to claim it right now. Um, because we have to measure the soil, we have to measure the carbon, but I think that's the direction we're moving is how can we um, create systems or, you know, if you're a brand, how do you get to know your farmers so you can work with them on changing their mechanisms so you can have that story about, you know, this is the farming system that brought you this t-shirt and we worked with them to lock away soil carbon. So, it's a climate positive t-shirt.
0: Yeah, that's very good. I mean, that's the story right there. Uh, I mean, speaking of stories, Mara, your brand is also is not just you know working at sustainability, but also you've taken a politically active stand in the past several years. And I know I mean that's always a very personal subject to a designer, and there's always like this push and pull of whether or not you should bring it into your brand. Has your community of customers followed you? Um on uh, this journey um, or is it something that you feel has caused uh, a controversy?
2: There's never been a separation really between me and my brand. So the you know part of my life that is mother, um, wife, daughter, artist, sister, creator, all of those parts um, also exists within my business so that there isn't um, a real divide. So for me, speaking to the injustices and what needs to happen politically to make for a more equitable and fair world and country, country and world, we need to be vocal about that. And I also sit in a position of privilege and influence and to not use that position to help create some kind of change or get people inspired to take action and to become more um, politically active in their lives to see the changes that they want to happen, I would be misusing um, really the the bit of power that I do have. So from the human level to the environmental level, it is... Um, extraordinarily important to be a brand that communicates outwardly about what they believe in. And I think that more people are looking for brands to be vocal now and that the days of just talk about, you know, just stay in the fashion lane are over and people expect brands to actually speak to their values, speak to their beliefs, stand for something, take risks, put themselves out there Um and of course, we have we have, have lost customers to it, but ultimately, I feel we gain more. Um, whoever leaves, a few more join, so it's okay. And there's more respect for
0: communicating than there is for not. The word privilege. I think. I think probably everyone on this call is in a very privileged position, and. Um, You know, I think sometimes that shopping um, sustainably, eating organic, and other actions of that mindset can be seen as just being part of a privileged class. Spencer, you, you know, especially you're on the higher end versus the lower end. I mean, how are you successfully addressing that kind of stereotype, and showing that what you're really doing is is something natural and benefiting rather than taking away. Does that make sense?
1: Aside from the sort of the price conversation of like, you know, by having something of a certain cost to a client, that's going to eliminate obviously certain people from the conversation. But on a more, I guess, kind of philosophical level, the way that we do it is we try and just avoid this sort of spiritual one-upmanship that you kind of get, in the community of sustainability kind of, you know, I'm better than you by I'm, you know, more green than you. I mean, at the end of the day, we're all going to suffer from climate crisis. We're all in this together. It's a big soup of, it's a hot mess basically. And we try and make it fun for people to have this conversation. We try and, you know, lure them in with joy and, and help I don't know, just make this like not such punishment and and sort of, yeah, you can only drink wheatgrass shots and wear vintage jeans and we all have to suffer together. You know, it's it's sort of, that's not the solution. You know, I mean, the way we dress is an emotional thing. The way you express yourself in the world is, you know, we are human. This is what we do. We make art, we sing, we dance, we, you know, make jokes. Um, And we want people to have that same emotional connection with the world that they live in so we try and funnel that energy into projects like collaborating with smoky bear you know everybody loves smoky bear he's you know he's an icon he's like santa and we can then make cool products that you know reflect your interests and you get a cute thing and we donate to the you know we sort of take care of the forest side of the stuff and it's about creating kind of win-win situations for everybody and yeah, make, keeping it fun, you know, keeping it light, I think.
0: I'd like to ask a question for each of you all, you know, within each of your respective companies, what, you know, is one goal that you aspire to, to achieve in increasing your sustainability platform or your efforts
3: in the next year? Now one thing that's hard. There's so many things, um, I think for me in this new role it's about um, it's about enabling and accelerating the change, which is very vague, but um, I think that companies need help to understand their their levers you know what and how they can make the changes internally um, and not to scare them, but to let them know that it's serious, but there's there are ways to get through this collectively. And so I hope that, you know, over the next year, we can help the industry come to terms with, yes, things have to change, but there are ways that we can start making those changes now um, and move at a pace and in, in an accelerated pace to do it so that we don't run out of time. Because um, I agree, the 10-year deadline, the 1.5 degree pathway is quite intense and can be quite daunting. Um, but we keep, we don't have the luxury of ignoring it anymore. I think that trying to present it with a tone of optimism is critical. I think that optimism um, requires a lot of courage and you know, not making it so heavy and scary that people don't want to engage with it, but giving them those tools and pathways to make the changes that they need. That may not be one thing, but that's my answer.
0: <laughs> no, no, that's a good one. Um, Mara, what about you?
2: For me, the... Ones that I really focused on were circ- circularity um, and taking full responsibility and ownership for the full life si- cycle of any product that we are manufacturing, and having um, instilling programs now that we have you know systems to take back product from people, trying to establish a, a peer-to-peer system where um, customers can buy and sell from each other and we can keep our clothes out of the landfills for as long as possible and give them as many lives as possible and you know bring the joy of wearing them to as many people for as many times. Another part of that was around collaboration and the importance of it, working with each other through this movement and not being stuck in any kind of proprietary ideas. And if we're going to make this movement work, it has to be in partnership with people and helping each other. And we wouldn't be where we are now without the help and support of the people that have been doing the work before us. And so also a big part of this Future vision of us is being in service to others and being able to listen and hear where we are needed to help and take action
0: um, within fashion and outside of fashion. Yeah, that's uh, that's so great to hear, um, Spencer. What about you? Uh,
1: you know, I think we're in a really exciting time for in the business right now. You know, we're three years in and my big goal right now especially after this year it was like we kind of paused on the innovation side and this is my goal for 2021 is just to like really really look at innovation and how we can push that creatively you know what like innovative products innovative textiles innovative systems in the business whether that's circularity you know the auditing just the way that we're selling things and just like really really honing in on pushing that side of, you know, just, I want to do like really crazy stuff.
0: (laughs) I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. I mean, that's pushing innovation, I think is, is something that I think every, every one of you will be doing. I can't, I'm really excited. You know, it only takes a few people to, make a movement to make big change we need leaders there's lots of people that like to follow and I, I see each one of you all as great leaders and just thank you so much for joining us and for giving so much insight into you know your incredible journeys um, I mean from the sound of it it looks like there's great things on the horizon for each of you and and that's only going to help our industry as we all come together for the benefit of the environment and our society as a whole. Thanks, Julie. Thanks for having us.
1: Yeah,
2: thank you. But I just have to add one thing, Julie, I have to say, when I was saying that about all the people who helped us along the way, just you, <laughs> Julie, like those <laughs> <Me> early <too. laughs> conversations, really, like I, you know, you and your role in this and I feel like we should all be like turning the um mic back to you right now and asking you the questions as well because you have sat in this position of guidance and leadership for a really long time and have been um someone truly on the forefront of this work and have believed in it since before so many people and thank you for that. And, and you really do represent that um, truest form of collaboration and service. You, you are so generous with that. And so I just want to say thank you to you for this and all of the work that you've done for so many years now and helped so many people along their way. Well, thank you. I, I mean, want to
3: echo that, Julie. Uh, you've helped nerds like me navigate the fashion world. So thank you. <laughs> couldn't have done yeah. it without you. Well, you, thank you. Know,
0: fashion's Fashion a community. So, um, you know, while you're being a nerd and Mars over there making beautiful dresses and swimsuits, Spencer's making films and collaborating with Smokey the Bear. I mean, it's all, all
1: fun. Yeah, we're all a bunch of nerds, let's be honest. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, fashion impacts everyone. It's not going to go away. We can't, you know, I mean, we have to figure it out. And I feel like that's an interesting thing, an interesting Cohen. And we will. We will. So, anyways, thank you all so much. Thank you, guys. Thanks, yeah. Thanks Jaleel. Circle of Influence Podcast is co-hosted by me, Julie Gilhard, and Sarah Kozlowski, and produced by Hanger Studios. If you like what you're hearing, rate and review. It helps other listeners to find us and of course thank you so much for listening.